And would you join me again for a word of prayer? What a privilege has been ours, Father, to sing these songs of praise to you because you are worthy of our praise. You indeed are the ancient of days. We've just already been reminded that you are Lord of eternity. And though we are prone to wander, still we are reminded that great is your faithfulness. We rely on your faithfulness, Father, as we open your word and expose ourselves to its truths for your praise and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We continue our new study through the book of Joshua this morning. Please open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 10 through 18. Some time ago, as most of you already know, my wife bought me a skydive jump as a birthday present. She'd been telling me to go jump off a cliff for a long time. I think she just upped her game perhaps a little bit there. But I got it. It was a dream of mine. I always wanted to do that. I waited for a beautiful day, and I went to the airstrip there in Michigan City. You walk in, you fill out all kinds of paperwork. All of it essentially says the same thing. If you die, it's not our fault. So you fill out the paperwork. I went through a sum total of about four minutes of instruction before I got into a harness and I got ready to meet up with a guy named Nick. I was going to be tethered to Nick when I jumped out of the plane. You could see the video, and I'm not showing it to you. But if you could see the video, you would see me acting oh so confident. I am ready to go. I say that I don't know how many times. I look so foolish saying it because deep down in my heart, I am scared spitless. I am so terrified at what I am about to do. But I had asked my buddy Nick, how many times had he done these kinds of jumps? He said somewhere over 2,400. So I was pretty sure that there was nothing I could get us into that he couldn't get us out of. So we reached our destination altitude of about 11,500 feet. And I sat in the doorway of that plane and I looked out and I saw 11,500 good reasons not to roll out of that plane. But I did. Nick and I rolled out of that plane and within four seconds we were falling 120 miles an hour. Was I scared? Absolutely. But again, I was tethered to somebody who had been there before, who had done all of this before, who I knew could get me out of any, any problems I got myself into. And it turns out, I love skydiving so much, I did it again two years later. Maybe I'm just nuts. Some of you have suspected that for quite some... Jared's nodding too. A little bit too much there, Jared. Sorry. But in Joshua chapter 1, God t in verse 2, God tells Joshua to do something that he found incredibly scary too. And that was to cross the Jordan River and go in and take possession of the promised land. 
get to chapter 3, we're going to find out that the time of the year in which this was happening, the Jordan was actually at flood stage. Normally, there near Jericho, the Jordan River is between 90 and 100 feet wide, and it varies depending on where you're at in the river from 3 feet to 10 feet deep. But now this is at flood stage. So the river is much wider. It is much deeper. And to add, add to something else to their fear, now there's a strong current. And God tells Joshua, you are to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. And what I find fascinating is Joshua didn't ask God a logical explanation. Joshua said, okay, Lord, I, I need some details, okay? How's it going to happen? What's gonna face, what are we going to be facing? What, what can I expect from the people when I tell them, get ready because we're going to cross the Jordan? He didn't do any of that. I think part of that is because he was there some 40 years ago when they stood in a very similar situation at the edge of the Red Sea. And God told Moses, cross over the Red Sea. And Joshua didn't know how it was going to happen. But Moses lifted his staff and the Red Sea parted. And it was a miraculous thing. And the people crossed through on dry land. Absolutely incredible. So very likely, Joshua didn't really question God about his instructions because God gave him the command in verse and then followed that command with this promise. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And so God's, God's command of nature was demonstrated at the Red Sea. Joshua seemed to accept by faith that God could do all of that all over again. And all of that is a foreshadowing of a miracle that took place just upstream. The Jordan River runs from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. And there was a time, some 1,500 years later, when Jesus is out on that Sea of Galilee with His disciples, and He's sleeping, and the storm is rocking the boat, and these experienced fishermen are terrified like I was when I was rolling out of that airplane, and they're scared to death, and they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, don't you care that we perish? And Jesus simply stood up in the boat and said, Peace! Be still. It was like when the parachute opened. Oh, man, I'm so glad to see that. That's something you really hope is going to happen when you're falling that fast and you see the earth coming up at you like that. Peace. Be still. So the account that we're going to look at here in Joshua 1 today, this is going to give us some practical steps, some great information, and some good applications how do we depend on God when we too face scary situations? Because that happens all the time. We're, we're facing the, the unknown year before us. What could happen in this year? The, 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 I mean, the, the things are innumerable. And so we stand on the threshold of this new year and look out not knowing what's going to happen. And here are some things that we can do to learn how do we and on God. I want you to look first of all with me at verses 10 and 11 where we learn this critical fact. We need to follow the leaders as they follow God. In Joshua 2 verse 2, 
God told Joshua, Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the, land of, to the people of Israel. Now in verses 10 and 11, here's what we see. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving to you to possess. God spoke to the leader, Joshua, and Joshua passed along the instructions to his officers who passed along the instructions to the people without changing anything. Can you imagine Joshua spoke to his officers and said, okay, you guys go over here. Tell all the people in three days we're crossing the Jordan. And one of the officers came over here to the people and said, Joshua said three days, look at this mess, and there's just nothing you can do with this. And so we're gonna have, it's going to take us two weeks to get this mess ready. They would have done that. God told Joshua exactly what to do, and Joshua told his officers, and they were faithful messengers. That's the model for the church today, folks. God has appointed leaders in His church. We call them our elders. And we are to faithfully communicate God's Word to you, the people, and to ourselves as well. And we are to follow the teaching that we ourselves do. Sometimes some people, and it's happened here, they decide instead, I'm going to leave this place. I don't like these guys. I don't like what's happening. Sometimes it was just me. I don't like what's happening. So there are a lot of reasons I have heard for why people have left this church. Some have said, I don't like the music. Some have said, well, my kids want to go to another church. Some have said, well, you're not doing things the way Pastor Burst used to do things. Oh, pastors always love that one. Or the preaching is too long. I, I jokingly refer when I go back before the service to get this thing to put on my head, I, I jokingly uh, say to, to Brian, it's time for me to put on my shock collar as if he, I'm going to go too long. He's going to be back there. Yeah. The only biblical reason for leaving a church is if the church is no longer preaching the truth, if there's an abandonment of sound doctrine, if sin is being tolerated. But notice back in our text, God gave them some time to get ready. Aren't you thankful for the things that God does in our lives to get us ready for something big He calls? At least in this situation, He tells to Joshua, in three days, you're going to cross the Jordan. So thankful that God didn't say to Joshua, okay, Joshua, this afternoon. That's, man, give us some time. We, and, and remember, these people had all their possessions that, in the world with them. They come through the wilderness. They had seen a whole generation pass away. They had inherited all the stuff from that previous generation. And God says, in three days, you're going to cross the Jordan. Don't leave anything behind because you're not coming back here again. There are times when God gives us instructions that we're to move forward and make sure we're prepared to move forward because we're not coming back to this place again. Sometimes that's a physical thing. Sometimes that's an emotion, emotional thing. Most of the time that's a spiritual thing. 
you've been at a spiritual level this long. You've gotten maybe a little bit comfortable at that level. And God steps into your life and says, okay, Larry, it's time to move on. You're going to have to take a big step of faith here. You're going to have to go from being a computer network administrator to pastoring this small church in Chesterton. Sometimes God pushes us beyond our boundaries. And he tells us, you've got to do this. Fortunately for me, he gave me three years of being at this church. Praise the Lord for the three years that we were here. We got to know everybody, and they got to know us. When I stepped into the pulpit here, I had the wonderful privilege that many pastors don't have in that there were no surprises. I knew everything. I knew what kind of shape the church was in. I know who to watch out for. Get ready to move. You're not coming back again. They could leave behind. That leads us to our second point as we look then at verses 12 through 15. And the second point is we've got to stick with God's plan. Now here's what you need to know. As the nation of Israel approached the promised land with Moses still in charge. Remember we talked last time Moses went up on the mountain and God said you're done and he died there and God buried him and nobody knows where the body of Moses is. But before Moses was dead, they had approached the promised land and there were two and a half tribes, the tribe of the tribe of Gad and the half, or the, the, the tribe of, I got to look at my notes here, the Reubenites, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh. As they approached the, the, the cross the Jordan and they're now on the west side of the river around at the land that was around them and they said, we kind of like it here. We like what we see here. There's good land for us to grow our crops. There's good for us to have great big fields where we can graze our cattle. So we don't want to enter the promised land. We want to stick right here. And for whatever reason, Moses said, okay, it's now is your land. So he addresses, now Joshua turns to these people in verses 12 through 15. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. Reuben was the oldest of the twelve sons of Jacob. Gad was another one of the sons of Jacob. Manasseh was the oldest son of Joseph. Jacob and Joseph both died in Israel. In fact, Scripture says they carried Joseph's bones out of Israel so that he could be in the promised land. But these two and a half tribes got permission from Moses to say, just outside the promised land, Moses wanted to make sure, though, that while you can stay out here, 
doesn't mean you don't have to join us and fight for it with, with your brothers to make sure we take possession of these two and a half tribes were obligated to go and continue to fight until they've taken full possession of the land. Like many of our military soldiers today, they were called to serve in a place different from their homes, sometimes without a flow from a long time for a long time. Now, me personally, and I'm just speaking for myself, I'm not sure why these two and a half tribes wanted to come so close to the promised land and not go in. There seems to be an issue there in my mind. I, I, I think of these two and a half tribes kind of like borderline believers. They're in God's family, but they want to do things their own way rather than going along with God's plan. History shows us many, many centuries later when the nation of Assyria come down and invade the northern kingdom of Israel because by that time it was split into two kingdoms. When Assyria came down to invade the northern kingdom, you know who the first Israelites who fell were? The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. It just makes me wonder why they would choose a place actually closer to Assyria than the tribes that were to the west of the Jordan. I really think they should have stuck with God's plan. I think it would have been better for them. Now, I, they didn't, and God gave it to them, and we, we have to understand this is the way that it, that it happened. But my point, I want to point out here is, what attracted them to this land outside of the promised land instead of going into the promised land with their brothers? Well, it was fertile, and it was lush, and that's understandable. But sometimes in our lives, that can be an indication that we really would rather trust on what we can do for ourselves rather than placing ourselves totally in God's hands. The people who went into the land, into the promised land, were going to have to fight the battles. So were these other, these other tribes as well. But ultimately, they were going to have to do all the work to repopulate what is really, if, and we've been there, what's really kind of a dry, barren kind of land. And so if you find a lush spot, it looks very desirable. But sometimes, again, that can be an indication you're trusting in the land, not in the creator of the land. Sometimes it's dangerous to live on the border. Too many people want to be saved. They want to say, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I know I need to be saved, and so I accept the free gift that Jesus gives me of salvation, but now I'm going to go on after my own priorities. I'm going to seek after my own comfort. I'm going to continue doing things my way. It's never a good situation. And we find, ultimately, that those stuck with God's plan went into the promised land, wiped out the people that were there. They were the ones that really received far more of God's blessing on their lives. These two and a half tribes that decided, we'll come close, but we don't want to go all the way in. Thirdly, verses 6 through 18. You've got to stay obedient and faithful. Look at the response of the people. These are the people that Joshua just spoken to. The Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe Manasseh. They answered Joshua, 
all that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go, just as we obeyed Moses in all things. Um, can I pause right there? Did these people obey Moses in all things? No. Thank you. No. When they were in the wilderness, remember I mentioned last time, there came a in the history of this nation where God confided in Moses and said, hey Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out. I've had enough of them. And as I said last week, if you've been a parent of a small child, you know exactly what that feeling is. I've had enough. I'd just rather wipe them out. God says that. And yet these people say, as we were obedient to Moses, so we're going to be obedient to you. And I have to think that wasn't very much of a comfort to Joshua at that time because he had seen everything that happened. But that's what they said. As we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. So these last three verses of the chapter underline for us how God is fulfilling the, His promises to Joshua. There's not going to be any opposition to His leadership. As he promised in the first part of chapter 5, not a whiff of resentment at the transfer of leadership. And indeed, they actually reaffirm their unquestioning loyalty to Joshua as get to the point in verse 18 that they said, whoever rebels against anything you say will be the ones who will put him to death. But they only introduce two conditions. Notice. So they, they, they each start with the word only. Verse 17, we read, only may the Lord your God be with you. In verse 18, only may the Lord your God be, only, only be strong and courageous. The first is an expression of faith. Joshua, we've got faith that you are the leader of this group. We're going to be obedient to you just like we were to Moses. Only we just sure hope you're following God. <laughs> and we trust you that you are. There's an implicit trust that they're placing in Joshua. Here, you are the leader now, and we just pray that God is doing through you what God needs to do through our nation. And then the other one, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. An expression of a commitment that Joshua needed to have to do everything according to God's Word. This is really a pretty auspicious start for Joshua as he takes over leadership of the nation of Israel. Joshua's ministry is God is with him. The people are with him. The plans are already in place to cross the river. And soon they can see across the river. And again, at, at normal times, it's 90 to 100 feet away. At flood stages, it might be twice that much. I don't know. But they can see the city of Jericho, the first place they're going to go to. And from where they're at, they, and they already know, Jericho's got huge walls all the way around it. And yet here are people that are willing to say, okay, God is with you. As you are following the will of God, we are willing to follow you to go up against a fortress city. That and all this is guided and orchestrated by God Himself. He's the central character of this chapter and as He is of the whole enterprise book that's going to follow. So, how does this relate to us? 
Of course, we're not Joshua. I don't know if we have anybody here by the name of Joshua. It's not me, I guarantee you. We can't put ourselves precisely in his shoes. But we can say that Jesus has rescued us from the slavery of sin as he did the people of Israel from the slavery in Egypt. And now he puts us in a place of working with him, of cooperating with him, of depending upon him to lead us into a life of obedience and faith. We know what it's like to be in need of courage for an unseen future because we face it every single day. We know what it means to have faith that God is going to keep His Word because we rely on that every single day. What strikes me in this chapter is the divine urgency of it all. This has been a long time coming, but when that time comes, there's no room for delay. There's, no, there's nobody who can say, uh, John, I think I'm going to need another couple of days. Nope. You've got this amount of time, and then, man, it's time to act. And that's the way it is. Our problem is that far too often we fail to act what we know we should believe. We don't believe sufficiently on the bare promise of the Word of God that this is what we're supposed to do. We know God's, what God's Word says. Our problem is not information. Our problem is motivation. We lack the motivation to step out in faith of what God has told us we need to do. And we fail so often. Nothing, listen, nothing can be more certain for you or for me than the Word of God. So if the Word of God speaks and we stand back and say, mm, maybe, mm, I don't know, we have just failed miserably. I'm not talking about the ideas that sometimes I, as your pastor or as your elders come up with that are not inspired by God and we acknowledge that. We seek, the, we seek to be as wise as we possibly can. We seek to step out in faith. But I'm talking about the things that God says for us. I like how one commentator put it, and I failed by not putting this in, yeah, in, in the PowerPoint. Listen to this. When God applies His Word to our lives in regard to something He's calling us to do, we must begin to do it in the strength that He supplies as soon as we can. When God applies His Word, which you're reading through your quiet time, right? You come through that quiet time and you find something that you sense God is calling you to do. We must begin to do it in the strength that God supplies as soon as we can. Our temptation is to sit back and wait. Well, maybe I just need, I need to find another commentator to, to really give me some insight into that passage. God may not be calling me to that. We hesitate but all I, that, that's all I need to do for my heart to start to harden. is to say, well, God has called me, and I know it, but I think I'll just hang back. All progress in our discipleship 
begins by God speaking with clarity and often persistence through the Scriptures. And when He speaks, we must obey. This is the purpose of God's commission on our lives. This is what God has left us here to do. We sing it so often. I think, in fact, I think we sang it last, last week. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. The Lord instantaneously gave the land of Canaan to the Israelites in His word to Abram. He told Abram the boundaries of the land centuries prior to the leadership in, of, of John. And now, over the next seven years, Israel has to participate doing what God has commanded them to do and to receive what God has promised and pre-delivered to them. It's yours. I gave it to your father, Abram. It's now yours. Whether the people in there recognize it or not, it is now yours. The key continuous victory was Joshua and Israel's continuous obedience to and faith in the Word of God. And can I say that's the same for us today? The way Open Bible Church is going to succeed as we move through this year and into the coming years, the degree to which we are going to be successful as a church is the degree to which we obey and operate in faith to what God tells us to do. There are people who live within a stone's throw of this building, who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. And I don't know if anybody's ever told them. We need to. There are people hurting in this world, financially and physically. God calls us to go and help. There are people that are struggling in this world because they are facing grief and hopelessness and discouragement and they find no place that they can find any hope that the world And that's why God says, you let your light shine before other people. Let your good works shine before others. So that when they ask you the reason, you have the opportunity to now say, my life is different because I operate in faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It's what He does for us. It's what He calls us to. We have to obey. Let's pray. Father, please work Your Word in our lives according to what we have heard, according to what we're going to sing in just a moment. May these be words that are true for us as we hold on to them as our only hope for fulfilling what you have left us on this earth to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.